Hi, everybody. This is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind here on WBAI 99.5 FM on your dial. Bringing you ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. Positively-minded life has a lot to do with feeling your own power, you know, feeling your own strength, as opposed to feeling like the world is just too big for you. Both, I understand, I understand both, but I've, I've decided to bring you some additional tools that you could use to help maybe help you uh, get through this world. In the studio with me, Nick Papadopoulos. Nick is uh, an amazing guy. He's a teacher. He teaches people how to move ahead. He helps people uh, become their own leaders. And I've watched him and I've watched his career. And he's, a, he's a, one of these just motivational people who have some good tools. Nick, welcome to WBAI. Thank you for having me, Armand. Good uh, to see you. Thanks for being back here. Happy yeah. New Year. So, so Nick, here's my, my question that I think a lot of people would enjoy. What motivates people? Let's start with that question. What gets people fired up? Great question. And there's a number of different ways to answer that. And I would say a good place to start is that there are major events that happen throughout our lives. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down to three. One happens when you're very young, between the ages of five and ten. One happens when you're ten to fourteen, and one in your early twenties. The five to ten is the major event causes you to have a conversation around there's something wrong, there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with me. The next conversation or incident that happens that causes that second conversation is I don't belong because of that incident. And then the third incident causes a conversation that gets developed in your head, which is I'm alone in the world. Okay, now let me take that because that's a lot of potent stuff there. <laughs> right. There are three events. There are three periods of your life. Right. Five to ten years old, you right. look around and you say, hey, something's wrong. Exactly. After that, you say there's something wrong, and what's the second part of it? The second one is I don't belong. There's something wrong. Why do I not belong? Because there's something wrong. Well, something wrong is the first, inc the first incident causes that conversation to right. get developed. Conversation meaning you say to yourself? Yeah, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong around me. And as a result... I'm now motivated to either be opposed to that or to actually play that out. And I'm happy to share an example. So generally, the first five to 10 years, it's usually related to your parents. And so, for example, my father, during, my, during those years, uh, ignored me, okay? And uh, it's okay to share intimately, right? And he ignored me, and as a result, I didn't get the attention. And so what motivates me today, because the conversation that I've developed is, I need to go get attention. I need to look for opportunities to get attention. I need to, um, I need to be in work where I can connect with people, because connection became really, really important. So for me, attention, connection, um, being around people are major motivators in my life, which got developed from this conversation that happened during those formidable years early on. Age five to 10, almost every one of us figure out something's wrong. Yes. Now there's either something wrong with them or there's something wrong with me. Something wrong with me. Okay, and the second one you say is it must be something wrong with me 
The second one is I don't belong. See, I remember when I was a kid, I went yeah. to Catholic school. And I went to Catholic school, and they were teaching us all about God and everything else. And Father Joe, I remember he was, he was a, uh, a priest, carried a gun. He used to take the gun out, and he would point it at us kids, the students. And he'd say, I'm going to shoot one of you if you get out of shape. And I said to myself, there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> this can't exactly be right. Right. So I knew there was something wrong with them. Absolutely. Right? I yeah. mean, there may have been something wrong with me, but I knew there was something wrong with them. And very often, children will look at their parents and say, there's something wrong with my parent. Right. But in those years, if there's something wrong with your parents, then you bring it back to yourself. You, you internalize it because if there's something wrong with my parents, there must be something wrong with me. I'm broken. There's something missing about me. Something is just not right here. So and we maybe, take on ownership of that. So you mean I almost caused the thing that's wrong with my parents by my brokenness? It's not that I cause it. I just take it on. I take, I take ownership of it. I actually take responsibility for it. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine so many people feel that way about their broken parents. Right. That it was their fault. You know, in some way. Okay. Now the second phase comes up. Now right. let's talk about that second phase. That second phase is between, let's say, 10 to 14. Yeah. And the conversation that gets developed is, I don't belong. Again, it's, it's, it's related to there's something wrong with me. It's just a different version now. So now you're, now you're just piling on, right? Now there's, there's, I don't belong. And so as a result of I don't belong, I'm going to now be motivated to either prove that conversation or to oppose that conversation. Either way, that's what's driving me in the background, hmm. which I bring forward as I grow up and as I become an adult and I go into the workplace and I go into all my relationships. By proving it, I feel separate, but I'm going to try to get people to love me. Absolutely. I'm going to try to belong. Absolutely. Does it ever work? It does work, actually. It can. It, it, these, are, these are winning strategies that we develop or strategies that we believe are, that help us win. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, it does get us to a certain point. In fact, we, in fact, these strategies must be developed in order to survive, especially during those years where you are dependent on adults to take care, to take care of you, where those are the years where you're, you're, you're navigating and figuring out who am I and what's the world about and, and all that good stuff. Um, they do work to a certain degree. At the same time, they get in your way. So what is important, just as a sidebar, is to start becoming aware of these winning strategies and how they are motivating you in your relationships with other people, both personally and professionally. So as a kid, if I don't feel loved by my mother, right, and then later in life I say, oh boy, there's something wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm not in it, and then later in life I become somebody who's got to have a hundred different women. I've got to, I've got to search out. I'm going to find some woman to love me. I'll find two women, 10 women, 30 women. Right. Now, there I am acting out that strategy of trying to find somebody to love me, but it's not going to work. Right. Well, I think you were just describing me, by the way. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I share with you my, my dad. So my mom, for example, the relationship that got formed early on is one where she was someone who dominated and manipulated and that's how I learned to be in a relationship with a woman is to dominate or be dominated or manipulate or be manipulated. And so, again, I, that's the conversation that I formed about that's how relationships operate. And as a result of that, I carry that forward. And at times that has produced results 
right? Well, it always produces results. Sometimes it has produced desirable results, right? There are moments or situations where dominating and taking control actually works. And then there are many moments where that actually gets in the way. So now that you're a uh, responsible dad of two, right? <laughs> right. Uh, now you see, do you see those same things getting in your way or do you see awareness of them helping you step out of the way? I would say it's both. You know, people, people don't change entirely. People do become aware. And as you become aware and you go and access tools, working with someone like you, for example, as they act, gain access to awareness and, and gain access to tools, they can start to create a shift and something different. More importantly, what I'm really saying is awareness allows you to have a choice in the matter so that you now can choose differently and create something differently in your life. That all said... That's still part of who I am, that other piece, which is, you know, what I learned early on. And so I have to, it's a constant, you know, got to catch it, got to keep catching but it. But every now and then you see yourself getting upset about something and you look at it and you go, oh, that's my old program kicking in. Absolutely. Yeah. And that gives you a chance to be able to step aside from that program and not have it take that toll on you so that you could do something different. Yes. And that's what you teach people as well. Absolutely. Hmm. This is Armand DeMille with Nick Papadopoulos. He's a uh, so so Nick in leadership. So so we, we had two ways of looking at it, right? right? And that was one. That was one uh, motivation. Talking about motivation. What's the other approach to understanding motivation? We we did a program about a year ago, and we talked about different communication styles or or different behaviors that people have, and. Generally speaking, they fall into four categories. Let's go with those four. Okay. You have the controller, you have the promoter, you have the supporter, and you have the analyzer. And each one of those folks are motivated by something very different. Each one of them needs needs a different type of food or a different type of fuel, right? So, for example, the controller needs to produce results. They need to dominate. They need to be in control. They need to, they need to win, the promoter needs attention. The promoter needs approval. Uh, the supporter needs to take care of people. Um, they need to be wanted. Uh, the analyzer needs information. They need to be right. So that's always in, you know, we talk about the voices in, in your head. Those are the voices that are constantly present for each one of those four people. And that's what's motivating them day to day. And it goes back to what I said, which is it's important to become aware of that these are the, the, the voices in my head, if you will, that are, that are driving me. And again, you can produce desirable results and at the same time get connected to the fact that sometimes being, let's say, the one that wants to dominate or the one that always needs attention or the one that needs to always take care of someone or always needs more and more information, that that can also get in your way and slow you down. So if people were listening and they wanted to figure out what type they were of these four types, how would they see it? How would they see it? Well, you'd, you'd want to notice your, your behavior. Your now, is, of course, everybody's probably a little of each of these, right? Yeah, th th yeah, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Everyone can be any see, one of those. See, that's the psychology cop-out. Whenever anybody, anybody asks, wait, well, hey, Doc, what do you think? It's this or it's that? You right. say it's probably a little of both. We do, <laughs> we do that all the time. So. Right. so personality testing is like, in fact, did you hear about the, the man who goes to a psychiatrist and says to the psychiatrist, hey, Doc, Sometimes I think I'm a wigwam. Other times I think I'm a teepee. What's wrong with me? And he says, yeah, you're too tense. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
This is why I come on this program. Of course. For that. For, for that joke. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Nick, so, so how does a person figure where where they swing, you know, where, where do they dominate? Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the best place to look is actually where is your eye always looking towards? Good point. Right, so what, where, where, you know, what's, what's your light tower that you're always... You walk into a room that's a party. Exactly. It's a party. Now, what are you, what are you looking at? Are you looking at who's gonna, who am I going to connect with? Well, it depends on who you are. So let's see if you're of these four types. How do, what do the four different types walk into a party? Right. Right. So, so the promoter is looking to connect with as many people as possible. They're also looking to connect with the who's who, if you will, because they're all about the image. That's what's motivating them and driving them in the background. Um, the controller is looking to interact with folks they can dominate, where they can actually be the big cheese in the, in the, in the matter. The supporter is probably looking to clean up after everybody, um, or they're looking to... Um, Support somebody or admire somebody or be the other side of the of the controller. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the supporter is a little different than the promoter in that the supporter is just looking to connect with one person. For them, uh, the relationship is really, really you know important, and they're, they're looking for that richness, if you will, right? Um, and then the analyzer is uh, you know let's call it the wallflower, if you will. They're they're basically sitting there saying, you know, um, I don't like anybody here. You know, why am I here? You know, they're looking at um, what's, wor- what's working, what's not working. Generally, they're more, they're more um, you know, they're, more, they're interested in leaving. They may not even go to the party for that matter. So, so it would seem, Nick, that if anybody were stuck into any one of these systems, they'd be very limited in their ability to succeed. Yes. The, yes. However, there are parts of their styles that also work. Right? Sure. So if I use the promoter, for example, they're a high energy, very relatable person that can work where it starts to cross over is where they become uh, they oversell, if you will. They become almost inauthentic. And that's where it can get in their way because people will then want to move away from them. And, and with each of the types, the same thing takes place. It's a little too much of it. Exactly. Will cancel you. So, so now in your working with people. How do you get somebody to go from the place where they are non-functional or not doing very well, and they say to you, you know, I don't know, I can't get my show on the road, I can't get this. How do you, how do you help them get to the point of being motivated to make changes? Well, it's, it's having them, it's, it's really getting someone who is in a commitment or who's committed to actually creating a change or a yeah. shift or some or some version of that, right? Um, someone's got to want to make a change or at least recognize that where they are today is costing them something uh, and that they've been where they've been for a very long period of time. And again, what what actually is the impact of, of where they've been? So So the conversation that we have is you know we we start there which is okay where do you want to be where are you and let's really let's really get connected to where you are because there's a major cost to where you are and for the period of time that it's been there sometimes it, the cost could be vitality health money etc if you don't have the motivation let's say it's your uh, your son my son's a bum. He's never worked a day in his life. He lives downstairs in a basement, and all he does is play music. I'm going to send him to Nick. Right. 
right? And, uh, and the kid says, all right, if I'm going to get my allowance, I have to go see Nick. You think he could do something? Well, he's motivated because there's he sees a value, which is the allowance, right? right. Um, you know, what often happens is people become motivated when when they're in a reactive mode, right? You know, the the, the the typical is you go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, if you don't lose 12 pounds, you're, you know, there's the or else. If you don't stop smoking, there's the or else. So often people are motivated by this when they're in a reactive place. And so part of what the work that I do with folks is how do you get them to be more intentional, more, more to come from, to be more proactive so that they're not waiting until they go to the doctor and they get the or else conversation. It's far more efficient and you can get far more ahead and actually have more fun and produce greater results if you can get way ahead of it by being proactive. So for me, in the work that I do with folks, is getting people connected to what's important to them. Everybody has something that's important to them. Every one of us is jazzed up, jazzed up about something or someone or some place. My my role and my responsibility, and I take a hundred percent responsibility in this matter, is that I'm going to have you get get connected to what's important to you. So then we can go really hard at that, so that we never have to wait for that doctor's visit that says if you don't do this or else, because that's 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 des- that's desperation at that point. You've you've seen you've consulted with people who are very rich. You've considered you've consulted with people who can't get their act on the road, right? Right. Right. You've been with all kinds. All kinds. Can I ask you this question? When you sit with somebody who comes to you for this kind of help, do you feel love for them? Absolutely. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I know I know I'm tossing this word off lightly. Right. But I suspect what people don't know is that what makes your magic work and why I've seen your magic work is that you have such a high regard for people in their own idiosyncrasies that even if they can't get it off the road, it's not just a threat, do this or you're gonna, your arm's going to fall off. Right, right. You actually care about them. Yeah, exactly. Tell me what that's about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this together real quickly. You know, I mentioned how one of the conversations I had in my head growing up was this need to be connected. And that's actually served me well today because I have this thirst. I mean, I really have a real thirst for connecting with other human beings. When I'm with another person, what works, the magic that you referenced, Armand, is the fact that people are dying for a connection. They're like, like it's, it, it's, it's so wanted and needed in, in every space. And part of what I do is just have people get that they're connected with me and that I'm really, really standing for them, that no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter who they be, I'm their, I'm their person. I am going to champion them. I'm going to advocate with and for them. And, you know, you can do all that, by the way, without actually ever saying anything. And, and I think that's actually where the magic really, really begins is to say, I'm just so connected with you so that you get you get this is going to be a strange way of saying it you get that you're gotten you know you get you get sort of known as a person through this connection and there's a lot of juice it's like really really delicious when there's that connection and that's where really where it starts when people say to me where do you, where do you start with with a client it's getting connected and getting related and getting because what we, what happens in that moment is we now just created a space that uh, 
a, a partnership. We just created a space that's unique and special, and you're not alone because many of us have that conversation, which is we are alone in this world. And so I'm, I'm through this connection. I'm saying to them, no, we're, I'm with you, and yeah, we're going to expand. This is more that. than a strategy, though. This is a a thing on your part. You feel like a gifted person. You feel like somebody gave you a present. The present was that you could connect with people. Yes, and that you feel gratitude for that. Absolutely. So, 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 so wait, wait, stop for a second now. <laughs> the thing I'm trying to get you to is that there's a part of Nick that needs this and loves it. Absolutely. Like there's a part of me that needs this and loves this. Yeah. I've been looking at recently physicians who have been so disconnected from the people that they treat. And the almost essential ingredient is the connection on everything you do, even if it's your car mechanic. Right. Just be connected somewhere. Right. The absence of connection is getting so big now there seems to be less and less connection. Yes. So we're at the point now where I'm looking to try to reestablish training about making connection, and that's what you do. Yes. But you not only do it, you live it. Yes. You're a soft-hearted guy who loves people and wants people to love him and does it by offering people a special gift. And the gift you offer people is you offer them I'm I'm okay with you. I'm not going to judge you. Yes. And maybe I'll help you. I'll give you a hand and we'll move on to our next spot. Yes. A beautiful thing. Linda, you had a question. I did. I did. Um, you mentioned the first two stages, Nick, and I thank you for that, the 5 to 10 and the 10 to 15. But what happens in the 20 to 25? Um, what happens to that feeling of connection? And um, can you tell me a little bit about sure. that? Hi, Linda. <laughs> nice to see you again. Thank you. So that third conversation that happens in our 20s is actually what often gets formed is that we are all alone in the world. And often what happens is that folks start to move forward in their 20s and 30s and so on, where now they're getting into relationships, marriage, kids, work, and they actually are operating from a place of being alone. And folks actually feel you know it's it becomes it's almost you know, when you're doing it alone it becomes really really tiring it it's it's a game that you're playing by yourself and you know the stakes get higher the, the stakes get higher and higher as you get through your 20s and your 30s because you you're taking on more and more responsibilities meanwhile you're carrying this conversation with you which is I'm all alone in the world. So I can't get support from other people. Um, I have to dominate. I have to control everything and everyone. Um, I can't do this in partnership with anyone, right? So um, that's what I was saying before with Armand is that it's so, it's so important to interrupt that conversation as you move as you move throughout your life, if you're seeking fulfillment, it is absolutely important to get the experience of being connected to another human and other humans as well. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. You did that great. Thanks. So the, the, um, the biggest question we would have at this point is, is how would a person who feels that the world is too big just too big it's overwhelming out there because you know you know it's interesting thing about depression one of the ways that we diagnose depression as professionals is when a person comes in they're always saying something they say i see reality 
reality is fake. It's not real. Nothing has any meaning, and my life has no meaning. Now, when you hear those words, diagnostically, we are trained, that means depression. But if you get underneath that, what they're saying is true. Because your life doesn't have any real meaning. Because nothing really has any meaning. And if you really look at it, you know, how big could it be? If you were looking down at a, at a group of ants on the floor, they would say, one ant said, my life has no meaning. Well, it doesn't have much meaning. So there's a reality, which is seeing that life is not as big as you, or as important as you think it is, which is in itself the perception of someone who is depressed. But it's also the perception of somebody who's aware. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody comes to you and they say, hey, this is not important. I just want to feel better. And I think that's the motivation. The motivation is they go to people like you, Linda, and they go to you, Nick, because they want to feel better as they're going through it. Not necessarily that what they're doing is significant. Right. I'm not, impo- I'm not sure it has to be significant. Right. It doesn't. It's really about the experience. You know, it goes back to talking about the experience of being connected and the experience of, um, you know, the experience of, of this connection is, to me, the most important. And the, whatever the matter is or the topic that they're talking about is really far less important and often just less interesting because the experience they then can carry everywhere throughout their lives. So it's less about, you know, that one incident. It's like, okay, now I've got this connection with another human. I really am not, I'm not alone in this world. And then that becomes, okay, you know, it's like baby steps. Now I'm connected with Nick and I've got this new muscle. And now I can now like step out and expand that even more. And as you start expanding this connection, you start to produce greater results in your life in all areas. It's such an interesting thing because the you know this story about the Pope and what the Pope had said artificially, the thing about the internet, that the Pope said there is no hell, the only hell is isolation of the soul. Right. Which of course turned out not to be true and it was just a, just a sham, he never said such a thing. Um, however, 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 one of the things that we feel, one of the things that we're aware of is that it's, it's painfully alone that we are. I am alone. Are you alone? Do you recognize that you're alone? And is it okay to be alone? And if you're alone, can you still be connected and still be alone? And I believe you can. I believe that being alone is not the curse. It's feeling isolated that's the curse. It's a terrible feeling to not be a part of anything around you. It's so hard to continue going on when you feel like you're not a part of anything around you. I wonder what happens to people as they get older and they get confined to their homes. Now they're staying up at their apartment, everything is delivered, they get all the stuff coming in, everything is coming in, and people treat them like, oh, you're the person who's ordering this stuff. But little by little, there are less phone calls, less people coming to visit, and you get into the sense that you are so isolated. Hopefully, one of the things you do early on is you take care of yourself in such a way that you don't feel that isolation. 
so that not that you connect with so many people, you just don't necessarily feel that isolation, that you could step outside of it. And I think it's vitally important that people get outside of that before, you know, they retire. Because let's think about what retirement is. Retirement is saying, I'm just kind of waiting for it to all, you know, to I'm going to be more and more alone, more and more alone, more and more alone, and then I'm going to go. Not such a nice idea. So we're going to teach you more about this, and we're going to teach you more about getting connected when we come back from our break. This is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind. We hope to be able to take some calls today at 212-957-2729. If it's related to the subject, 212-957-2729. My guests in the studio, of course, Julian Joyello, Nick Papadopoulos, and Linda Vanella. As usual, we're going to take a uh, one more announcement, one more mention to you all, my friends. You know, if you feel like supporting The Positive Mind and WBAI, you can go to WBAI.org. There is a buddy system there, and in this buddy system, you could put up 10 to 20 bucks every month, and you could just sign up for it, and it just kind of supports and keeps this place going, because if it weren't for WBAI, there would be no Positive Mind. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, a little music, and uh, then we'll continue our discussion. Armand DeMille with you with the Positive Mind WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City. Special thanks to all of you. Hey, we've got Pete on the phone. Hey, 
Pete, let's say hello to you. Hello, Peter. Hi, how you doing? Good. Hey, so uh, it's really hitting home. Uh, some of my thoughts lately. You've been you've been fighting to get yourself going. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, maybe you didn't hear. Me. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've got a lousy connection here, Pete. Is there any chance um, that you could improve the connection? Because I could barely hear you. Hey, is that better? Not much. Oh, okay. Thank you. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Oh, I didn't mean for you to hang up. Oh, Pete. All right. Let's go back to where we were. Hey, Nick. Nick Papadopoulos is back with us. Hello, Armand. Hey, so we, we've got a couple of people calling in, trying to get through. they sure they want to ask us a few questions about this. What do you think is the biggest stumbling block uh, emotionally? Because, you know, there are some people, you ever hear of people who are afraid of surpassing their fathers or mothers? Yes. You know, and does that really happen? Absolutely, yeah. And you run into that? Absolutely. And oh. when you run into it, how do you, how do you, um, how do you identify it? Well, for, for, you know, each person, it shows up a little differently. You know, for some people, it's, um, it shows up with money, with others, it's their health and well-being. It could be the partner that you choose. Uh, for marriage, uh, for me, it was money and and career. Um, you know, I I definitely can identify with that conversation because because as I mentioned earlier about the relationship I had with my dad early on, um, I always wanted his attention. I always wanted his love, and I remember um, in my uh, as my career progressed, I remember uh, as uh, becoming successful, and I remember getting a bonus check, and the bonus check was for forty six thousand dollars. <laughs> This isn't. This wasn't in my salary, right? This was just a bonus check that I got. Oh, nice. And I remember the experience I had, which was, oh my God, I am sick to my stomach. I felt anxious. I felt frantic. I felt out of control. And and my dad, on his best day, on his best year, made forty thousand dollars. And the week after I received that forty-six thousand dollar check, I walked into my CEO's office and told him off. And resigned. Huh. And it, you know, as I look back now, because of as we've been saying about the importance of awareness and getting connected to these conversations that we've developed, I realized that what had me sick to my stomach and the anxiety was this. And I'm actually shaking now, even 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 um, sharing this with you is the. Um, you know, I was really worried and afraid that my dad would not love me because I had made in one check more than he had ever made in one year. And it may sound, you know, re- you know, irrational, and it is. It's completely irrational. Um, but all I wanted was my, 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 my dad's love and attention. Well, the secondary threat there is that if you earn more than he did, he would not be able to love you anymore, that he would reject you in some level. Yes, and he would not be able to identify with me. Mm-hmm. He would not be able to connect with me. And meanwhile, all my dad, I mean, my dad is an immigrant who came here to have, to have his children have a better life, right? So here, I mean, how, how, how irrational this whole thing becomes, right? He wants me to have a better life. And because I created this conversation, or I take, took that conversation from five to 10, all the way to the future, I left millions of dollars on the table all because I thought that if I did that and I, and, I, and I pushed myself back down, 
quote unquote back down in my career that he would love me or relate to me differently. So do you help people unmask these hidden conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Because I How do you get to it, Nick? How do you get to what's the conversation? You just by listening to them and what they have to say and asking them, Hey, did you ever hear that before in your life? What do you do? That's one way. Absolutely, that's one way. It's um, look, people are are dying to tell their story. They really are, and it, this is why this this conversation around being connected and having people feel safe to come out and share their story. Um, you know, the yes to your question, and and also it's like I said, I look. My eye is always towards where is this conversation around. I don't want to be better than dad or better than mom or I want to be loved by them. Where is that showing up? Because it's showing up somewhere. It's in your finances, in your health and well-being, the partner that you've chosen or how you um, – just how you operate daily. It's there. So I'm that's where my eye is. So I'm always poking around with questions and having – having individuals be in an inquiry around where might that be showing up and clearly getting getting uh having them identify their relationship with their parents so a big part starts with well what was the house what was the home like when you were five to ten years old what was actually happening or not happening and let's get connected to that let's really recognize what was the environment like because who you are today has a lot to do with what happened and what how you were relating in those in those relationships with That's those great. people. So, so we're speaking with Nick Papadopoulos, and the the uh, idea here is to be a he's a success counselor. I said he does. You can't get your act on the road. This is what he does. He counsels people. He helps them uh, identify the things that get in the way. Fascinating stuff. You know, it's different than therapy. Therapy is a whole different item. In psychotherapy, you're looking to get a person to make their lives completely better through their own building of their own strength, helping them identify things themselves. It's different. It's a different emotional thing. This is much more um, going right for the point of if you can't get your stuff together, there's a way of doing it. Let's take another call. I think we have Henry on the phone. Henry, hi there. This is Armand DeMille. How you doing, Armand? Good. Um, I've, I've called him before. In fact, I, I came in a couple of years ago and and, uh, and had some sessions with you, maybe about fifteen or so years ago. Fifteen um, years ago, Henry. Yeah, you know, in life, um, you know, I'm still when here. Went on, it was good, but I had some some setbacks, and uh, you know, your example of you know coming back home, I lost you know everything in um, in, in life in terms of my home and career, and I came back home uh, at 49 years old. Uh, beginning again, and when I'm listening to this man here, he's speaking about things that it really resonated with me because many of those times in my life there were different traumas that occurred. And I find myself really in a depressed state where I am separated from the world, and I find that I'm very cynical about the world. Very, uh, uh, I don't see what good I could do in the world, and that's like the key or the source of my... Uh, angst and depression at this time. I don't know if that's the source of the angst and depression. Meaningfulness. I'm not sure about meaningfulness. I have a big question about that. This man's search for meaning and what meaning is about. Yeah. We do know this. We do know you feel powerless. We do know you feel like you've kind of lost your spirit. Yeah. We know that. We feel that some of these losses have just like taken the stuff out of you. 
But in all the stuff that you've done, Henry, you know, you know a little bit about your mind, and you've, you've and since you've done some therapy in the past, why didn't you reach out to somebody to try to find some help with this? Uh, say that again. Emma. Why don't you reach out to somebody? Why don't you find a therapist or something to kind of give you a hand with this? Because it's it sounds like you're depressed, and it sounds like it's the kind of thing that people help with. I know. I it's really it's a mostly it's a financial thing at at the time. I'm not working or anything at the moment. Uh-huh. So uh, I went to some of the conventional therapists, but you know the first thing that the first three of them went to was was medication, and I really was not. Um, in alignment with that and the energy just didn't feel along the lines that I feel when I call in or listen to the show or sure um, um, it's I guess what it is is all therapists are not created equal is what <laughs> well that's for sure and the ones that take uh, take the insurances usually are not the ones yeah are gonna live. however however you know we do have provisions to help people when they need help one way or another Henry so you know give me a call in the off hours I'll find you something I'll find you something. It'll fit. It'll fit whatever you could afford. It's uh, because you're 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 beautiful, and it seems like you've lost track of your beauty. Let me ask you something. Who is the last person that you have loved? Oh, um, you mean in a rela- relationship wise? Yeah. Well, I was I was in love with uh, with my fiance. Um, that uh, was the last person that I was in love with um and that didn't turn out very well that that fell apart yeah and after that fell apart did your depression kick in after that yeah it kicked in as you know as i was there because the um it was you know the panic attacks became more prevalent at that particular time and and depression and of course it took about two years for the for the whole thing to fall completely apart so through that time it was really really tough really really tough and do you find yourself spending a lot of time isolated and alone nowadays? Always. I mean, I, I don't see anybody. You I don't mean, see anybody. I, I live I live a false life on on Facebook, but you know, uh, it's not real. You know. Um, well, let me ask you a question, Henry. You know, you happen to call in today, and you know the way the stars and the universe work. He happened to be calling in somebody who I've met before. I don't remember. There were a lot of Henrys, but I'm sure if you if I got your last name, which I'm not going to take on the air, and looked it up, I would find out who you were, and I would remember you at that point. But, but I mean, are you ready? Yeah, I am. You ready? I'm ready. All right, so this is a good day. I'm ready. This is a good day. Give us a call. I'll, I'll get back to you, okay? Okay, I'm on. Sure. Thank you so much. You know, and sometimes every now and then I get in the elevator, and I'm coming up... Uh, to my office, and I see other people getting on the elevator, and I get here about 8 o'clock in the morning, about 8.30. No, I get here about 8.30. And I get into my office, and there are a lot of people who are struggling in who are going to start working at 9 or 8.30, and you see them on the elevator, and they got these long faces. I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work. And I look at them, and I ask this very important question, are you ready? And they look at me, no, I'm not ready yet. No, I'm not ready yet. No, I'm not ready yet. But it's a very important question. Are you ready? I ask myself that question all the time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is that it? Have you had enough? Henry. Sounds like Henry is ready. And it sounds like an important time to remind people that they may be ready. Absolutely. 
and Henry was speaking exactly to the conversation we had a few minutes ago about, you know, you asked him the question about when's the last time you loved someone, who is he connected with, who's he, who's he around, and, you know, I really appreciate his share because it's really, you know, our go-to often is to go and isolate, to go into the cave. That's our go-to, especially, again, if, if you've had these co- incidents that have happened and you've formed these conversations, you develop these strategies, and part of the strategy is, hey, I'm going to go and isolate. I'm going to go into the cave by myself. It's and- the only thing that makes sense, you know? Right. Nick, it only makes sense. If, if everything out there hurts, where am I going to do? I'm going to hide out in the cave. Right. And, and if I have no weapons, you see, yep. if I believe I'm an animal with no weapons at all, if I'm an animal who has no no teeth and no claws, and I feel powerless in this world, and then it's, so now it's dangerous out there in addition. Right. You know? And if you have this conversation called, I'm alone in the world, we're actually really funny as human beings. We will actually go and find and collect the evidence that we are alone. In fact, we will structure our lives in such a way. And we're really cute about it. You know, we we get really, really cute and tricky about it. And we will set it up and we will set people up in our lives so that we get to prove over and over again that we're all alone. Mm. Thank you very much. Let's take another call. Hi, John. You're on the air. This is Armand DeMille. Uh, Yes, Armand. I just wanted to relay a story that happened to me when I was younger. Sure. Um, As a boy, um, my um, mom and dad used to fight and they would fight around the holidays all the time, and everything would get quiet. We couldn't talk. Uh, they didn't talk for days, and then all of a sudden they would start talking, and everybody was happy again. But this one time, my father threatened to throw himself out the window, and um, we were on the uh, third floor. And I was a little boy, and I remember grabbing him around the waist and saying, Dad, please don't, don't, you know. And uh, my mom, you know, uh, I guess that was the way of, his way of getting at my mom. Because then she would kind of capitulate or say, no, no, look what you're doing, something like something to that effect. Well, the point of the matter is I felt so miserable for a long time because of that. Uh, it, it didn't only happen once. It happened a few times. And I, I was very sullen and, uh, after one episode. And uh, I went outside and I was playing with friends of mine. One friend of mine in particular, his name was Johnny. Good boy. A good fellow. And what he did was... Uh, I said to him, he said, what's wrong? You know, you look very unhappy. I'm, I'm about eight years old now. Uh, you look very unhappy. What's going on? I said, my father, he threatened to throw himself out the window, and I got all nervous and sick from it. And what he said to me, don't worry about it. My father does that all the time. And uh, and after that, I felt like such a burden was lifted off my shoulder because I, I felt it was only happening to me and that no one else ever had, had that had to experience something like that. Wow, that's a big deal. That's a big thing, John. You're yeah. saying a lot, and that's what people go through. You're absolutely right. So that is, that is you're lucky enough to have had that friend tell you that because a lot of people I know feel totally responsible for their parents' well-beings even today. Mm-hmm. Even today. You know, they say they've got a parent who's unhappy. Though i got to make my parent happy. People feel that way about their mates. You know, I got a wife. I got to make my wife happy. I got to make my husband happy. It's almost like you have that responsibility, and it's one of the mistakes. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And that's what you learned early on, John. Thank you for showing us that story. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Armand. Sure. Bye-bye. 
212-957-2729 is our number here. That's remarkable, Nick, Linda. That, that's, that's kind of the stuff we're talking about. You know those kind of messages that run through your brain? Absolutely. Whose well-being are you responsible for? You know, that's the real issue, Linda. What do you think? You think enough people feel that they are responsible for their parents' well-being? I think it oftentimes plays out um, when a child feels responsible for their parents' well-being. But I think hopefully as we connect with others as an adult, we come to realize that the only one's happiness that we must really build on is our own. And in that, perhaps uh, we can play, you know, make a role. So you don't have to make anybody happy Absolutely, but yourself? no. What about me? <laughs> you have to make me happy. <laughs> hey. Nick, that thing about of being able to being able to uh, this thing about not being able to live if somebody else is distressed, mm. right? Terrible thing, isn't it? Yeah. How do you help somebody who may be like really immersed in the depression of their mate? How do you help them motivate themselves in life without getting rid of their mate? Well, to Linda's point, you're responsible for yourself. I mean, that's really what you can control. Uh, you can be responsible to people, um, but you know, it, it's really getting people to acknowledge that they actually don't have the power to and, and be responsible for other people. It's really getting them connected to whatever changes you want to make in your life. It has the other person actually has nothing to do with that conversation. It's all about you being one hundred percent responsible, and then generating whatever is necessary from from your ways of being to the actions that you take, so that you can create something different. And what I point to, what I'll point to, is how individuals are reactive to other people, and how again what the cost is because of that, rather than standing on their own and being and being really in ownership of themselves and and taking responsibility just for themselves and who they be and what they're what, and what they what they're creating you know i have i have you know just to one comment to what linda was saying i have folks who will take responsibility not just for their parents but they'll take responsibility for their siblings for their extended family for everything and they'll beat themselves up for the rest of their lives and it's never going to be enough. They're, they're never going to be enough in that conversation. So they're always going to be climbing up the mountain, climbing up the mountain, trying to prove. And it's, it's a no-win proposition. You see, and, and the way that you deal with them is not – the way I deal with them is not to say you're wrong. You don't have to take care of them. It's because one of the things I know about, about sons and daughters is that if the parent cripples you with guilt or shame or stuff like that, the parent also wants you to fight yourself free. Right. So if you make yourself successful and if you are free, then one of the things that they want from you is they want to see you get past their neurosis. Parents hate crippling their children. 212-957-2729. We have Chad on the line. Hi there, Chad. It's Armand DeMille. Hey, good afternoon, Armand. Good afternoon, Nick. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. Uh, it's totally ironic, like you just said a few minutes ago, that the stars and everything is aligned right now that I got through. And the question, uh, or should I say the help that I'm seeking, is uh, 
almost along the lines of the topic that you're speaking on right now that you just mentioned in reference to uh, your mate. Uh, I've been in a relationship now for a little over 10 years. I uh, have three beautiful children, uh, one extended child that came with the package. Uh, I love all. And um, have a hard time with my mate uh, communicating. A lot of fights, uh, a lot of arguing. It's not normal. And I've been telling my mate this for years, that this is not normal. I actually uh, tried to, to see if we can seek counseling together. Uh, we did try it one time uh, with, with a priest, actually. And the response that I got from, the, from, from that person when we went to go seek the counseling uh, it was like, you need to just go about your own way. You, know, you need to get a priest with a gun. <laughs> right. Hey, you guys behave yourselves. <laughs> so, 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 my, so now my, listen. My, my, my question is this. My question is this. I don't mean to cut you off, but this sure, is my question. Ahead. What can I do for my mate? I've been urging her to get help, to speak to someone. So we can be, uh, 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 I, I always felt if you know yourself and if you work on yourself, then you can add so much more to a relationship. Chad, so, the only thing I got around this, and I've seen this happen so often, it's an amazing thing when you move yourself into your own place that finds out whatever is happening inside you that keeps this going. Believe it but, or not, there's a part of you that wants it just this way. And you have to uncover that part. Rather than being the guy who's sitting in grief, about the way it is, right. there is another piece of you that's enjoying it, and you got to find that part. Now, that part, you may need somebody to help you with that, and I think it, it's worth looking at. Because until you find the part of you that contributes to this, that collaborates with this, that's a part of this, you're kind of lost, always in a battle of she's wrong and you're right, and she's wrong and you're right, and you're trying to make it better. So right. make it better for yourself by exploring yourself and she should come along with that. And if you want to talk further about it, send me an email, and I'll, I'll try to give you some more information on it, okay? I definitely will. Thank you a lot. Chad, thank you very much. We're going to have to be going soon. Um, Nick, how do people get in touch with you? Is there an email address that people can go to? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. It's, I'll give you the easy one. It's coachnick at coachnick.com. That's easy. Coachnick at coachnick.com motivational stuff, or you can reach him through my office, 212-757-4488. We're going to be going soon, my friends. We're going to be back with you next Tuesday at uh, twelve at 1 o'clock. My special thanks to Michael G. Haskins for Crystal Engineering and getting us right there on time. So, Michael, for you, I play this music.
Primavera, dice mi 